This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Corey Johnson. We're here every day bringing the latest news in the world of business and finance. And the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio. Well, take a look at shares of GoPro. They are selling off. This is the company says it's cutting a bunch of jobs and it's putting an end to its drone business. Let's get uh, as to the reasons why and how bad it really is at the company. Our Jin Kao is with us, technology reporter at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Nice to have you here. Nice to see you, Carol. So what's going on? Okay, so GoPro has always had been plagued with troubles on their drone business. You know, when they launched in September 2016, there were production delays, there was a recall. And now this is the final sort of straw uh, that broke the camel's back. They are getting rid of the drone business. They've cut 250 jobs. How Um, big was that drone business? It was quite small, actually. They really Uh, couldn't figure it out exactly. And, you know, they talked about it. It's a really competitive market. There's The addressable market is not as big as they thought because of regulatory issues. And it's really hard to make profitable. Nice research, folks. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're going to go into a business, yeah, Corey look, Johnson. All right, all right. Uh, what? It's been a little while since I went to a I'm usually rant. the easy one, and you're usually the tough one. So let's, let, all right. So go, let, let's tell the real Don't story. Use Don't use gonna, all but, her time. Don't use all her time. But the, the, we got five minutes and 44 seconds. <laughs> GoPro's story was not we're a drone company or that we're a camera in a drone company. GoPro's story to me was always, hey, we're not just a camera on a stick. We're doing an IPO, and we don't just sell a camera on a stick, because a camera on a stick doesn't sound really interesting. And yes, it's true, all we sell is a camera on a stick. But don't worry, folks, we've got another business. It's not just a camera on a stick, it's the best camera on a stick. And it's not just the best camera on a stick, it's a media company. Yeah, if you read the SEC filing, the IPO filing, it says, don't worry, we're gonna be a media company. Because all those great movies, look at how cool it is to watch someone surfing from a first-person view, and how to watch somebody snowboarding, and kite surfing, and, 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 and all this mountain biking, all this stuff. The problem was they never owned the media. And that was always seemed ridiculous. It was as if George Eastman owned the pictures I took in my Kodak film, right? <laughs> That's not how it works. I bought the film and I own the pictures. I shot with my GoPro, I own the pictures. But they, they, they went with this media story and it gave them a big valuation in the IPO and insiders sold like crazy into the IPO and the secondary. So then they said, once the camera thing, the media thing didn't work out, they said, you know what, forget the media thing, we're going to restructure, we're going to do some layoffs, now we're going to be drones and cameras. Well, they also wanted to be a software company, right? I think, oh, software, I think, forgot yeah, that one too. It, it's, yeah. it's a lack of focus to be, right? Because you, you had the software component, you had the drone component, and you had the camera component. And now they're basically sloughing off everything that didn't quite make sense. And to me, it's like, okay, here's a here's a return to fundamentals. Here's a return to what we're really, really good at. You know, he talked about getting back to profitability, getting back to growth, the CEO, that is. Um, and that is that is really about the cameras. Um, Are they good enough for them to own that market and for that market to be profitable? Uh, profitable, sustainable business for them. That actually is one of the biggest problems right now, right? Because you have some of the biggest companies coming into this market. You have Google making its own GoPro, uh, you know, kind of camera. You have Samsung with its uh, spherical camera that basically shoots in VR. You know, they have a ton more money than GoPro. And GoPro's question now is, can they be independent and still be a company? They have the brand. That's what they have right now. Yeah, well, great. I mean, you know, the company has lost just in the last two years $500 million 
uh, you know, the no, that you know they they've had a grand total of five profit, sorry, six profitable quarters in the four years they've been public. So, and this this quarter looks like it's going to be another loss. Uh, we'll we'll see, you know, based on the, the profit margins, or gross margins dropping from worth forty percent six quarters ago to by my calculation twenty five percent in the quarter that they just pre announced. So. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that there's a business on the camera to stick business. I don't know that that's a profitable business, given their big expenses in stock compensation, R and D, uh, SG&A costs. You know, the, well, I think there's. I think it's not an accident that the promise has always been on the come here that their actual business is not a successful. One. Let's throw into that. There's a report now, according to those familiar, that GoPro has hired J.P. Morgan Chase to advise on a potential sale of the company. So let's throw that into the mix. I mean, is there somebody out there that would love to just do this as an add-on? You could see it maybe with a big hardware company. Um, I mean, to me, it's not really clear what kind of company would want to buy GoPro, but um, the, the value that it has for sure is the brand. It has a core base of users that are extremely loyal to GoPro. The CEO himself said that you know they've realized that their customers, a, a bigger percentage of their customers are actually return customers. So those are the same kind of people you can... Uh, you know, uh, compared to an Apple fanatic who always buys the new Apple iPhone, even though their old one is perfectly perfectly fine. Right. In the same way, a fanatic loyal GoPro, to the brand, exactly, uh, and, customer and, and will buy be the fair, new one. Before they got into the drone business, they were they were doing about call it seventy million dollars in free cash flow. So you know, if you figure you want to pay five times free cash flow for that, maybe there's a three hundred fifty million dollar uh, acquisition to be done here. The problem is the enterprise value of the company. You know, right now is about 900 million, so the stock would have to fall by another 60 percent to match that made-up number that I just came up with. But it's just that's just me. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't know. We got to wait and see. Does J.P. Morgan find a buyer for this company? Because that could be the next step. Well, in the morning, the CEO talked about how he could, he will, ex he would explore the sale, but he would also want to remain independent. And you can see sort of the cost-cutting measures that are, you know, an attempt, I think, to a streamline the business and b make it more palatable to a potential acquirer and see potentially if they can get back to profitability, maybe there is sort of a niche position for GoPro. And, you know, Nick Woodman, CEO, founder, super nice, nice guy. guy. Very, uh, yeah. uh, uh, very, just really nice guy. And very, it's hard um, not to kind of cheer for him um, a little bit. You, yeah. You, and you want someone to be able to make, have success with a product like this, but they haven't. And, and they continue to not have success with this product and they continue to lose money in this product. And, and you know, one, you know, one wonders if there's anything there at the end of the day. The camera on a stick was just a, a very excitable stock with a camera on a stick. Well, it, it, I think it remains to be seen, but, you know, I, I think there is a little bit of promise there. At least if you take out the Karma drone venture, you know, right. they were able to be profitable. So that's the thing something. I'll say is that it, it, this, this week of, of the Consumer Electronics Show, just really quickly, yeah. there are two kinds of tech journalists. And there are tech journalists who say, cool, new product. This is great. And people think that's a stock story. And they did that with this company. They said, wow, cool, new camera. This is a great stock. And every product announcement they came up with, a certain kind of journalist ran to tell those stories. And maybe other journalists sat back and said, wait a minute, these numbers don't look good. Well, it seemed ubiquitous at some point, and then everybody else, then competition came into the market, and, and you had all that stuff going on. Jing, thank you so much. Jing Gao is technology reporter at Bloomberg News in our New York studio. By the way, that report about J.P. Morgan coming from CNBC Earlier Reports. It's that bad for Bitcoin, slipping into darkness. But uh, as Charlie Pellet just told us, uh, Bitcoin uh, uh, value has fallen by 10.3% over the course of the last trading day. Since the last time I sat in the office, 
It's actually up 8% uh, since the, uh, Friday at the end of the year. John Sarson joins us now, managing partner of Blockchain Momentum based in Indianapolis. And John, uh, uh, you know, the, the one that really got, actually got me, the one that I looked at here was what was going on with Ripple, again, since I left the office uh, a whole week ago. And uh, that, that XRP currency um, is, is, again, up uh, quite a bit from where it was uh, only a few weeks ago and a, and a year ago. And the, the volatility, however, in these uh, digital currencies is, is notable. Yeah, hi Corey, hi Carol. Thanks for having me back. Hi. Uh, yeah, Rip. Hi there. Yeah, Ripple's been a, an exciting story. Uh, you know, yesterday it was the uh, second largest digital currency in the world. Today it's back down to number three behind Ethereum, and a lot of investors are gravitating towards Ripple as they're seeing some of the weaknesses of Bitcoin, and that is specifically Bitcoin's inability to handle a high volume of transactions. Hey, John, John, you guys at Blockchain Momentum, it's a limited partnership. You guys invest in cryptocurrencies and companies associated with blockchain technology. Just full transparency, what digital currencies do you own? So we own the 15 largest digital currencies. So we own Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ripple. And we're going to own them based on technical factors. So right now, all of our technical factors are indicating buys, so we own all of those currencies. So does that mean you are buying, or did you sell before? Uh, we're, we're buying. To, we, we own today. We have, we're holding long. Uh, we use three factors to determine if we want to be long or short, a digital currency, and all of our factors are saying to buy. What do you like more, the digital currencies or the blockchain technology? And what do you think has more staying power? So the blockchain technology is, is really transformative. I don't know if you saw the news from Brazil that Brazil is looking to put their entire voting system onto the blockchain to reduce voter fraud. Mm -hmm. This type of immutable transaction ledger is going to be extremely valuable for the rest of our lives. This is great new transformative technology. Digital currencies utilize blockchain technology to, and their immutable ledger to transact uh, between you know unknown participants. And that's valuable, but the value that any individual digital currency has is going to be related to its ability to solve a problem that exists currently in digital commerce. I.e. Ripple. I.e. Ripple, correct. So, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. So, how long does it take? Let me ask you about two types of Bitcoin transactions. The 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 one that doesn't get a bunch of attention is actually using the freaking Bitcoin. But also, uh, so how long does it take to close a purchase of Bitcoin? You you want to buy something using your Bitcoin? It's in your Bitcoin wallet. How long does it take to to run that credit card to make that transaction to get that six pack of beer? So, it used to it used to take not very long at all. It used to be very inexpensive. You have the ability to establish how much you'd like to pay to have someone solve your cryptographic puzzle. So you can basically set the priority on your transaction. So because of that, current transactions are taking a couple of hours and costing up to around $20. So if I want to buy a pack of beer with my, if I want to buy a six pack of beer with my Bitcoin, it'll take me a couple of hours and 20 bucks. <laughs> Uh, it, it can if you're not willing to pay, um, you know, uh, outrageous fees to get the transaction done more quickly. And that's exactly the reason why some vendors are abandoning Bitcoin in, in favor of other digital currencies. Okay, so how so if it takes me t uh, many hours and at least 20 bucks to make that transaction, how long does it take me to complete a Bitcoin trade? I, I look at the price quote on the terminal right now at uh, $15,000, uh, sorry, the bid right now, the, uh, so the ask of $15,057 for a single Bitcoin. How long does it take for that transaction to go through on, a, on an exchange? 
Uh, it's going to vary by exchange, again, based on the amount that the exchange is willing to pay to have that transaction verified in the blockchain. Uh, this this uh, this lack of ability for Bitcoin to really scale up to a large number of transactions is leaving Bitcoin with a unique role in the world. Bitcoin might be the right currency to buy a tanker full of oil with, mm. but it might be the wrong currency to buy a six-pack of beer with. So, so, that could wait, be back, so back up. So again, I'm, I'm looking at a $3, basically a $3 spread between the bid and the ask on, on Bitcoin right now. How long does that transaction take? If, I, if I'm willing to pay, it's a $15,000 trade. I don't care how long. If they want to charge me 100 bucks for that, I don't care. How long does it take to get that trade completed? So your price will be locked, but then to have your um, verification on the blockchain could take a little while. So you're, you don't take, price, take on price risk once you execute the trade. You just have to wait before you're going to have ownership of the Bitcoin so then you can do something different with them, including sell them yourself. So I, I, the price risk I take is the volatility. So if it takes me an hour or three hours to complete the acquisition in the market, three hours from now the price could be very different. Yes, and uh, to, to your point, when Bitcoin Cash and Coinbase uh, were having some issues a few weeks ago, it didn't take a few hours. It took a few days to verify transactions. And the price of Bitcoin Cash moved from 3500 to 2500 while those balances were frozen for customers. All right, we got to run. Uh, we obviously could talk a lot longer uh, about this. I'm going to also throw out on Twitter a story Bloomberg did about the Bitcoin whales who own uh, so much of the uh, Bitcoin market. John Sarson of Blockchain Momentum. A lot of new sensations coming your way, courtesy of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, underway in Las Vegas as we speak. And audiophiles, listen up, because we maybe have some new sensations for you from this next company, Harman International. Uh, we find Sandy Rowland, Chief Financial Officer of Stanford-based, uh, Stanford, Connecticut-based Harman International at CES on this Monday. And of course, Harman is a wholly owned subsidiary of Samsung Electronics. Sandy, uh, nice to have you here on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, tell me about CES. I understand it's kind of back in vogue again when it comes to kind of consumer devices. It's not just about cars, but you guys play into both. Uh, tell me about the show and what it means for you guys specifically. Yeah, good morning, and thank you for having me. Um, we just opened our booth actually one day ahead of the formal opening of CES, and um, the energy out here is Why would incredible. you do that? No one can even get in. Uh, we actually have our uh, our 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 demonstration set up at the Hard Rock Hotel. Oh, well, they can get in there. You can definitely get in the Hard Rock Hotel. Yeah, so we're, it, it's jamming. People have found a way to get into the into the exhibit. I, uh, a friend of mine, Molly Wood, uh, put up on her Instagram yesterday a picture of her smiling like crazy last night when she realized she didn't have to go to CES this year. As a veteran of, of at least a dozen CESs, I can say <laughs> that not being there is an interesting thing because just look at it from a distance. It's kind of uh, it, it has a different sort of flavor to it. Um, but it's but I should yeah. point out, like our, our Bloomberg reporters have said, it's kind of back in vogue again. You've got Facebook, Google. There's a lot of folks that are there. I think Google actually is, has, has a big booth there um, because of all of these kind of personal devices like Alexa and so on and, and AR glasses and, and so on. Well, so I wonder, and one of the interesting things has always been the, the automotive aspect of what's going on. So I wonder for you guys, um, you know, when, when you're trying to show off innovation there, what is the most important thing that's new? Because I've, I've done connected car stories at CNN, I'm sorry, at, at, at CES for at least a decade. 
I'm not kidding, a decade. Yeah, ago. well, there's there's a lot going on on the automotive front, um, and for us, we're really excited to uh, to be showcasing a lot of technologies. As you know, we've been the market leader in infotainment for more than a decade, uh, but as a result of our transaction with Samsung, we've been able to expand our portfolio. And so one of the most exciting things that we're showing at this year's CES is what we call the integrated cockpit. Um, and that brings together the infotainment system with the instrument cluster, and then it wraps around very high-resolution displays to give a fantastic driving experience for the car. Um, outside of digital cockpit, we're also expanding our portfolio into areas like uh, telematics, functional safety. All of these, all of these items are the foundations for autonomous driving, and we expect to play big in this area uh, with Samsung. What in spe- what specifically though is is kind of new and different, right? Because we're all kind of getting used to these incredibly sophisticated cockpits, if you will, within our cars. Um, tell me how you guys are kind of pushing it even further. Yeah, I think one of the ways that we're pushing the demonstrations further this year is CES a lot of times is about the devices and the new technology. And this year we're really focused on the user. So we've really tried to personalize the experiences and ensure that they're unique, that they're smart, that they're easy, and that they're rich. Um, And all of these things really elevate the experience um, for, for individuals. How is it unique? Um, you know, some of the things that we're doing that are unique is that it can be customized for the person. So you talked, you mentioned earlier about the importance of Alexa, Bixby, Cortana, Google's voice agent. We are integrating those voice solutions into the car. People have become very comfortable with using those technologies in the home. Um, and now they want those same experiences into the car. Of course, the car is a totally different animal, and we have to think about things about uh, making sure that those experiences are also safe and secure. So well, what I, the, back to this difference thing. I mean, you know, again, I've, I've been doing this story for, you know, 15, 20 years. I mean, is there something about this thing of connecting phones to the car that's very different in the electronics this year? What, what, what problem are you trying to solve for? Yeah, well, the um, the technology that's been available up to now hasn't given you a full connected experience. There are new technologies like 5G that Samsung is very strong with that we're introducing at CES that uh, will enable a fully connected and autonomous autonomous experience down the road. Is 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 that so? Let me. Uh, I don't know what kind of time we we'll got. About a minute and a half left. Uh, but you know, with auto accidents, with pedestrians being hit at, at record rates, with auto accidents actually on the rise for the first time in a long time, is a more connected car that is a full cell phone or user uh, mobile phone experience what we really want inside of a car now? You have to do it in the right way. Obviously, when we are d- designing new solutions, we take safety into mind. So you want the until we have a full autonomous drive. We want people's hands on the wheels and their eyes on the road. And so solutions that you mentioned, the voice solutions, are ways to make it safe and secure. We certainly don't want drivers texting or using their cell phones. We want them to take advantage of technology so that they can have the connected experience that they have at home, in the car, but in a safe way. Hey, Sandy, just got about 30 seconds left here. From your um, vantage point, and we talk about self-driving cars all the time, how soon do you see them really coming uh, on the marketplace? And just quickly, if you could. 
Yeah, it's absolutely a journey. So we think this is going to take at least a decade, but there are advancements along the way, and our strategy is to capitalize on those advancements as they come out, and you'll see year-by-year new cutting-edge solutions. All right, great to get some time with you. Sandy Rowland, Chief Financial Officer at Harmon International. They are, of course, as a company based in Stamford, Connecticut, but we found uh, Sandy at uh, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas today. I just love that my car can park itself. Uh, it doesn't need your phone for that, though. No. Harmon's even better than that. Uh, Harmon's pretty cool in terms of sound. All right, everybody, you are listening to Bloomberg Markets. Carol Master, Corey Johnson on this Monday, and this is Bloomberg. I'm driving in my car. I'll turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. To the close and helping us with the drive to the close right now, John Augustine joins us right now, the chief investment officer from Huntington Private Bank, all the way from glamorous Columbus, Ohio. Yes, We're sir. not going to ask you if Oprah's going to be there. Are there more? Yeah, exactly. With Ohio <laughs> State out of it, what do, what do you got? You were asking me in the break what uh, the tonight big football game. Well, I, Ohio's I out of it. Lived in Atlanta at one time, so I got to go with Georgia. That's the best I got for you. All right. <laughs> I don't know if I'm feeling that. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, the, you know, roll tide might be that. We'll see. We shall see. Um, you guys manage $18.4 billion, and I want to get to some stock picks, but I, I do want to know kind of your notion of. You know, this big debate about what GDP is going to deliver for us and what the resulting inflation might be, you've got to have some ideas about that. Yeah, this is one of the first years I can remember. I've been doing this about 30 years, and we're nervous that all our estimates for this year are low. Join the crowd. Two and a half GDP, two and a half inflation, 3% 10-year, double low double-digit earnings for stocks, 2800 for S&P. It's the first time I can ever remember. Wow. Well, can I just tell you, we, have, we talked about this earlier. Um, we've got a story out on the Bloomberg that just said that it's um, our, our uh, because of the run-up that we've seen in the S&P already uh, this week, it's within half a percent of surpassing roughly a quarter of strategists' price targets for 2018. So you're not alone uh, in that. But that doesn't mean we'll, we're going to end where we are right now. No, we may see, one of the things on our mind, Carol, is we may see the top of the stock market maybe in late third quarter, early fourth quarter depend on what the Fed does late in the year and what the ECB does. So we may be kind of in a first half, second half scenario for markets, depending really? if bond yields can finally move higher when the ECB stops buying third quarter this year. We think they kind of they control that. The ECB right. controls global bond yields long term. What they do in the second half of the year could set up what stocks do, what bonds do. Have you been watching the yield curve and watching what's going out at the you know further out along that yield curve? Yeah, I mean our fixed income team, Kirk Menser watches that on our fixed income team. There's no alarm bells going off for us yet. Yeah, but it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit, right? If if people are saying we've got growth, you know, there's a lot of optimism out there. That you would expect yield at the you know along the yield curve and further out would be a little bit higher. But as long as a German ten years at forty four basis points, there's only so so much higher a U.S. Treasury ten year Treasury can go. 
That's our. That's what we've come down to is our case right now. So as you as you, given that scenario, let's talk stocks now because you've you've been done some work on some stocks for us. Given that outlook, that things could uh, uh, that things could move faster, uh, higher, but there's a there's a cliff uh, somewhere in the distance in the, in the gloaming. Uh, what are you looking at on the equity side? What kind of what stock do you like uh, in that scenario? Well, in that scenario, so. Last November, about our equity team started to get more cyclical. So they started to move into some industrials, some consumer discretionary, into some energy stocks. So they started to get more cyclical as we saw this global economic expansion taking place. We saw that end of July, early August. So far, that's working. You keep your tech sector holding. Mm -hmm. But so far, you know, we had some rotation in December. But now it seems to be back where it was. U.S. large caps, emerging market stocks are leading, tax leading, along with some other cyclical sectors. That's where we're starting this year with. That's what you're starting this year with. Because you, you guys have kind of come up with a top 10 list for the economy, for markets, uh, and so on. So you mentioned things like Halliburton, Eastman Chemical, EOG. These are some names Those that you Those are like. the cyclicals that our teams were moving in, have moved into. Already? Already. That's, that's started impressive. in November. It's aggressive, but it's worked. Those stock prices have worked, so they've been in the right place. Congratulations to them and best for our customers. Are you getting out of tech? Not yet. Tech might be a second-half story. We think there's enough momentum in their earnings to get them through the first half of the year, but those comparisons are going to start getting tough second so it's half not, of the year. So it's not that you don't like them. It's just a case of how much they've run up. How much they've run up and, and just these double-digit revenue and earnings expectations that mm -hmm. they got to keep going now from Apple on down. Right. It's going to be harder and harder every quarter now. There, there was a, an interesting sort of change in the last year where the, the quote-unquote earnings growth, the EPS growth of 2016, a big chunk of that was buybacks. Uh, and and uh, you know the change in share count made a big difference there, and 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 you know when the buybacks were gone, then suddenly you actually had real earnings growth in the subsequent year, which doesn't often happen. But uh, after real earnings growth, you think it gets tougher. The comps get tougher. It gets tougher. But what we don't know is, here's what we don't know that's going to come out in the next three weeks is what is the actual earnings per share estimate for the S and P 500 this year. Does that matter? Because the sell side is anywhere from zero to nineteen dollars higher than today. What, all right, but to, why does that matter to you? You, you got to get results regardless of what the analysts are. We guessing. got to get results. We got to go down through the sectors into the individual stocks. I agree, but also we're trying to think about valuations. We're trying to think: can the S and P get to three thousand before it starts rolling over? So, from our strategy team's perspective, Corey, they're interested in that. Yeah, and then the stock teams will work bottom up. So wait, so just to pull back on that a little bit, or. or and pull back, drill down. To drill down to that, why not? So is what you're saying that you might adjust your investment plans based on what expectations are across the market? We're waiting to see how high earnings per share estimates go for this year for the S&P to make a starting case for ourselves. Because they were about 13%, because now you've they've got jumped to up to 15 And you might change your We've risk We've got profile. to be in the right places. Hey. So we've got to be in large, mid, small, domestic, international. If earnings estimates continue to accelerate, we want to participate in that a little bit more. And I love that you say it's going to be the year of the Midwest economy. So trends in autos, agriculture, exports, transportation, kind of some plain old vanilla things, if you will, sectors. Yeah, the biggest one to us is agriculture. They've had a tough time. Yeah. And now the futures markets are starting to show a little bit of activity for soybean, 
corn prices. That's good for our part of the country. Ag needs to come back. It's funny. We were just talking about the University of Illinois and their endowment, that they've got a bunch of land making where they're the sowing bet. corn and soy. Yeah, making the bet. And it's, it's paid off for them over the last decade or so. Say what? Never. You always got to root for the American <laughs> farm. Yeah, why not? John Augustine, he's chief investment officer at Huntington Private Bank in our New York studio. All you need is stone hard and a new steel. Viva Las Vegas. Can you picture him with the, the hair slicked back and the collar turned up and the dark wraparound sunglasses? Mike Vorhaus joins us right now from Mag Advisors. Mike's at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And uh, I'm not, Mike. Well, you're be, uh, your, your health will be uh, happy about that since uh, famously people get sick at uh, CES <laughs> since you've got people from 100-plus uh, different countries coming. What's different about CES this year? You know what's happening is that every year it gets to be more about software, more about content. You see more of the traditional media guys there, and it gets to be less and less about you know, the big speakers and the big truck and the little tiny little devices. Though the drone, the tiny drones are out at CES this year. But it's a lot less of the kind of nerdy, geeky AV guys and, and more of the, the media business guys. Every year more that way. Wait, what do you mean no drones? No, the drones are, I was, I, I was, I was the drones are huge, uh, including tiny little drones. So there are a number of companies that have drones out that fly around your home, and they watch your home while you're gone. They can watch your pet. And unlike passive cameras, you can send this anywhere you want in your house. Yeah, this, is, like this is a Christmas like, present uh, that, that uh, existed in, in my home for about, worked for about a minute and a half. I mean, it might have gone three whole minutes before it crashed and broke into pieces. And um, Well, it, then your iRobot would roll all over it. Yeah, the the Roomba got it. So I I wonder if this is you know uh, last I think I did, I think I got to skip CES last year too. Um, I, I pardon the glee in my voice, um, but you know it, every year there's a trend or every year there's an idea, and about two years later it's a trend that everyone else is doing. Two years ago it was fitness bands. Uh, the CEO of a, a major sneaker company I, I I poked a little bit of fun at his new fitness band. And he was furious about it, and the thing, of course, crashed and burned, like the drone that was in my kitchen a few months, a few weeks ago. Uh, so, do we take the drone stuff seriously? Do we do we lump it in with the the uh, 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 GoPro realizing its drone aspirations were uh, a mistake? Well, you know, the, the drones and the robots, and, and you draw kind of a line of continuum between them. They're clearly going to have a role, right? They're, they're just useful, and, and the robots inside you know, the house that are on the ground are going to be particularly useful. And You've seen them at the Oakland airport where they have those little robots walking up to you. So I think the robot drone area is real, and I think it'll, it'll be well represented at the show. But you know what I think is the comparison that, that you're making is voice-activated. I think you're going to hear a ton about voice activated this year, and then I think in two or three years we're going to find that voice activated was a big trend and not just a fad. So, um, uh, finally, we're waiting. President Trump. President Trump uh, is uh, about to speak, talking about uh, uh, farms and rural America. Uh, he's actually walking to the stage right now. Um, so, Mike, we, we might uh, get to President Trump here uh, in just a minute. But uh, before we, we do that, um, uh, Mike, just to ask you really quick: do you, Is there a fad that you can see now that's uh, that's that's next at CES? Uh, I think voice activated is the biggest one, and then coming up behind that's going to be live streaming. You know, forget the editing room; it's all going to be live events. It's going to be, you know, you live from the day you from the minute you wake up, and uh, 
it's already breaking out around the world. And I think there'll be a lot of live streaming going on right at CES. Mike Vorhouse, thank you so much. President at Maggot Advisors joining us uh, on the phone from Las Vegas where CES is happening. Move around. Motion creates the motion. I feel the earth move under my feet. You move like they do. I've never seen anyone move that fast. Shake. Shake. All right, people, let's move like we've got a purpose. Something's called movers and shakers. They cost a little more, but that name cracked me up. Bloomberg Markets, Movers and Shakers with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. All right, everybody, time for your Movers and Shakers on this Monday afternoon. Carol Masser along with Corey Johnson, both of us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio today. Uh, Let's start with the S&P 500. We've got 334 names in the index higher today, 165 lower, six unchanged. We've been talking about this, but let's just uh, rehash it. GoPro, uh, among one of the the names uh, getting a bit beat up in today's session. Stock down uh, just about 13% at the close today. $6.56 a share. What happened in 2017? That stock was down about 13%. GoPro cutting or saying it's cutting more than 20% of its global workforce, putting an end to its drone business after a disappointing fourth quarter. The company saying it now expects sales of about $340 million, well short of its own previous projection of as much as $480 million and the average analyst estimate of $472 million. Revenue took an $80 million hit due to discounting for its karma drones, as well as Tiro line of cameras over the holiday season, according to the company. So it's also lowering uh, or started lowering prices for its older Hero 5 black cameras due to soft demand. Uh, so a lot going on and uh, the stock taking a hit today, Corey. Yeah, fundamentally what they said was that they'd priced the new camera, the drone business stinks, the one that they convinced people yeah. is going to be their growth, their entire growth story. And that their existing business, they priced things significantly too high and were having to get essentially $100 checks to retailers to make up for the losses on these things. Uh, to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars. So bad news for GoPro. Uh, GoPro. Um, uh, Bitcoin, whatever yeah. the stock, the move of Bitcoin prices today, Ripple prices or whatever. Um, but uh, the number one performing alt currency uh, uh, of the last year was not, or last year was not Bitcoin. It was Ripple. Uh, I had the CEO of Ripple on Bloomberg Te- Television with their listeners here, heard him on Bloomberg Radio as well. Uh, and uh, today, uh, this isn't one of those uh, shady little billion dollar, three billion dollar companies uh, having issues, but in fact, Seagate, Seagate Technology, the giant disk drive manufacturer, soared today, was up 7%, it was up 16% for the, before the open, but up 7% today. After a Seeking Alpha post uh, in the computer Value Street Research suggested that the company might own more than 4% of Ripple. The company wouldn't comment, but uh, Ripple uh, is, uh, is uh, there are 100, I think there are 100 million shares of Ripple. So if these guys had, in fact, 4% of Ripple, they would have 4 million shares. Uh, I said there are 100 billion shares of Ripple. So that would be a, a, a sizable uh, value to these guys. Um, again, Seagate wouldn't say anything about it, but uh, the stock uh, went flying on the hopes that this was a true thing. Uh, shares of Seagate up 7% on the day. Hey, let me mention uh, Kohl's because Kohl's is the number two gainer 
Miner in the S&P 500 today. Kohl's uh, in the trade uh, up about 4.7%, up $2.54 a share to $56.90 a share. Uh, Kohl's boosting its fiscal 2018 forecast, and so that's why you saw the bump up uh, in its stock. Kohl's now expects fiscal 2018 adjusted EPS of $3.98 to $4.08 compared to a prior forecast of 360 to 380 The estimate among analysts is at 379 Total and comp sales for November, December combined period rose 6.9%. Uh, year forecast excludes a previously disclosed fourth quarter tax settlement of about $30 million. So uh, some good news, some upbeat news from a retailer that's taken uh, a bit of a beating. Uh, the stock, let me just take a look, in 2017 actually gained almost 10%, but uh, some more optimism when it comes to Kohl's today. Did you uh, have your Thanksgiving no. dinner no. at no. Dave & Buster's? No. But I don't think many people did because the stock's getting killed today. So despite the fact that sales were up 15%, uh, 16% last year and 15% uh, through the year that ends in January, their fiscal year ending in January, uh, that was like the expectation at least. But Dave & Buster's came out this morning with uh, new guidance, worse guidance, slower than expected start to the fiscal fourth quarter, they tell us two months into that quarter. Uh, quarter uh, to date, comp sales down 5%. Uh, the annual revenue, which was predicted to be $1.16 billion, is going to be more like $1.14. That's less. Uh, comp store sales are expected to be uh, down 1%. The prediction was that they'd be up, or a little bit less than 1%, but uh, predicted to be up. Uh, that's for the full year. Um, and the fiscal year net uh, earnings of about $109 million. The expectation was 111 Of course, the Bulls and Wall Street were hoping that they would beat those estimates. Missing them badly uh, is their pre-announcement, and that pre-announcement led to the stock to fall 22%. Yikes. When you break a growth story, it gets really broken. This is a growth <laughs> story. Uh, stock had gone from 45 to about 58 in the course of the last three months, but now closing at 4379 Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. And follow us on Twitter. She's at Carol Masser, and I'm at Corey TV.